A quick ask before we start the episode, we have a survey, a very brief survey that we would love for you to fill out. There's a link right there in the show notes. It'll help us learn a bit more about you and what keeps you downloading the shows so we can create the best possible stories that connect to your interests. And as a thank you for completing the survey, if you leave your email at the end, you will have a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Thank you so much for listening and for filling out the survey. From the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. This is breaking news from Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Catastrophe in the Bronx, the deadliest fire in 30 years, tears through an apartment building, killing at least 19 people, nine of those victims, children. In January, a devastating fire broke out at a major affordable housing development in the Bronx. It was the deadliest in New York in more than three decades. Flames shot like a blowtorch from a third-floor apartment. Oh, my gosh. But fire was the least of their problems as a lazy Sunday morning turned to pandemonium at the Twin Parks Northwest Apartments. Everything in my apartment is black. The walls, the floors, my dog, my kids. So they just got us out just in in time. Officials blame the fire on a malfunctioning space heater and a broken fire door. But Dr. Diana Hernandez of Columbia University says the root cause of the fire goes much deeper. You know, I've been working in this area for a long time, and every time there's a fire in the wintertime, like, it strikes me as, you know, potentially rooted in this issue that I kind of understand To me, it's just extremely disheartening that we live in a society that allows for some of these more fundamental issues to go unaddressed. Those fundamental issues revolve around energy insecurity. Energy insecurity is defined as the inability to adequately meet household energy needs. The U.S. has an energy insecurity crisis. A third of U.S. households have trouble paying their energy bills, and the majority are households of color. When Dr. Hernandez saw that fire, she saw the fatal impacts of energy insecurity, neglected housing, and structural racism. Yeah, I mean, I think we can't think about our housing or energy infrastructure as not deeply connected to the circumstances of African Americans and also other people of color kind of being disproportionately impacted by this issue. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. This week, the tragedy at the Twin Parks Northwest building in the Bronx exposed deep energy inequities in America, inequities that mostly affect communities of color. So how do we make sure everyone has equal access to quality, affordable energy and prevent future tragedies? The entire solar industry rests, both literally and figuratively, on a vulnerable material. That material is aluminum. It is one of the most carbon-intensive metals, with the bulk of its supply originating in China. But what if module frames made from domestic recycled steel replaced it? On May 30th, Latitude Media and Origami Solar will host a frontier forum that explores what would happen if the U.S. solar industry shifted from aluminum to recycled steel. We'll explore the impact on supply chains, costs, technical performance, and carbon emissions. This is a must-attend for anyone who cares about the domestic solar industry. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes, or go to latitudemedia.com events. Dr. 
Dr. Diana Hernandez is an associate professor of sociomedical sciences at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. And I guess um, the short answer is <laughs> I'm a sociologist, I'm a professor, and I'm a researcher that does work on energy, equity, housing, and health. Dr. Hernandez grew up in the Bronx, and she lives there today. So she's familiar with the Twin Parks affordable housing complex. It's a development with over 2,000 apartment units. And when she first learned of the fire sparked by a space heater that engulfed the Twin Parks Northwest building, she immediately saw the connection to her work, to energy affordability and housing quality. You know, it's rooted in this issue that I have come to deem as completely unacceptable and also, like, really unnecessary as a risk. And yet, day to day, you see people that are impacted by these issues. The impact is staggering. Last year, a major efficiency group released a study based on Census Bureau data. It found that Black households spend 43% more on energy than white households. Hispanics spend 20% more. In some places, low-income Black and Latino renters pay up to three times more than the average American family on home energy costs. A primary cause of this gap? Housing. People living in housing built before 1980 spend 21% more on energy than people living in housing built after 1980. It's a discrepancy that goes back to racist housing policies like redlining in the 1930s that prevented Black home ownership, and then, subsequently, a lack of investment in low-income housing in recent decades. Diana saw it all around her in the Bronx, a borough with the highest concentration of people facing rent burdens and energy burdens in New York. It's one of the reasons she started studying energy inequity. Uh, Well, basically, I was listening, um, and I was listening to people that were explaining that they were having problems either keeping up with their bills or keeping safe and comfortable in their homes. And I found that to be interesting, important, and also, like, really absent from the literature at that point. And I felt it kind of necessary to raise awareness about this kind of more hidden problem. Twin Parks was built in the 1970s. It's an affordable housing complex with a large Gambian immigrant community. Public records show it has the lowest possible energy efficiency rating in New York. Tenants who live there filed 14 complaints last year about the building, and three of them were for lack of heat. The week of the Bronx fire, temperatures consistently dropped below freezing. And residents of Twin Parks Northwest did what so many across the borough's aging, inefficient buildings do. They look for ways to keep warm. What do we know about what happened at Twin Parks Northwest in January? Well, there were three kind of issues that happened. I mean, in some ways, the message was reduced to close the door. And that's because there was a fire safety door that should have shut automatically, but didn't. There were also fire alarms that had been going off and that tenants had learned to ignore because they were very frequently kind of false alarms. The root cause of this issue, though, seemed to be malfunctioning space heater that had been on incessantly for days at a time. But, you know, kind of deeper than that is the fact that many people in the Bronx, you know, kind of don't have adequate heat. George says her Bronx apartment building turns the radiators on and off sporadically, often forcing her to seek other ways to stay warm. You can see I taped them up myself. To keep the draft out, she taped plastic and Red Cross blankets to the window. We are freezing. We are humans. 
Okay, even the animals get better treatment than some of us that are tenant. And they do report, you know, these kind of no heat complaints more so than any other residents of, of New York City, um, especially on a per capita basis. Carol George documents her numerous calls to 311. Still, she says nothing has changed. So when investigating the fire at Twin Parks Northwest, the investigation cannot stop at answering if a space heater was to blame, but also question if residents had any other choice. You know that people are doing a lot to manage the circumstances, including resorting to these supplemental heating sources like stoves or ovens or space heaters. So let's explore this horrific event through the energy insecurity lens a bit more. Can you explain the connection between the fire, energy access, and housing a bit deeper? The Department of Energy's kind of Energy Information Administration has you know, kind of said that one in three households, so about 37 million households, um, are energy insecure, which is just a lot of people. And so to me, it is a very characteristic case of energy insecurity. Patterns really kind of fell on three dimensions of energy insecurity. So the first one is related to kind of economic burden. And then the second is about the physical condition of housing and especially how it reflects inefficiencies in housing and the kind of inability for people to actually access comfort. And then the third are coping strategies, which, you know, has everything to do with whether or not the thermostat um, that regulated the temperature in the buildings was set at an adequate level. You know, it could also mean that there are drafts it could mean that there are other sources of heat loss that might like require the residents to essentially resort to the coping strategy of using a space heater. And so to me, it is a very characteristic case of energy insecurity. Mark your calendars for May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and Origami Solar will unveil new research on how recycled steel can help reinvigorate the U.S. solar industry. Why recycled steel? Well, the solar industry is dependent on imported aluminum for frames, leaving it vulnerable to geopolitics, supply disruptions, and higher-cost transportation. By switching from aluminum to recycled steel, solar producers can reduce greenhouse gas emissions and qualify for IRA domestic content incentives. Have questions about the shift to steel and the impact on supply chains? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, Origami Solar CEO Greg Patterson, and American Clean Power's MJ Shao for this live virtual event. Again, it's May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Register for free at latitudemedia.com events or click the link in the show notes. If you're a black or brown person in America, your experience with energy is much different than a white person. According to law, landlords in New York must make sure that apartment temperatures inside are at least 62 degrees, no matter what the temperatures are outside. The residents here say it's not even close to that. They're dealing with 30s and 40s. I'm talking inside their apartments, and they say it's just unbearable. In the richest country in the world, 
We still have tens of millions of people who don't have access to reliable energy or who can't pay their energy bills. And that's not an energy availability problem. It's a housing problem. And it's a racism problem. Yeah, I mean, I think we can't think about our housing or energy infrastructure as not deeply connected to the circumstances of African-Americans and also other people of color kind of being disproportionately impacted by this issue. Blanca Nieves has been dealing with it for years. It's really, really bad. Her heaters are on, even the electric fireplace. I leave it on all night. She and more than 200 residents of the senior complex on Clinton Avenue are living in frigid temperatures. I have to put the stove and I have to wear the jacket. This is a senior building with a lot of sick seniors. The plastic on Queen McFarland's windows, not helping. See what I'm talking about? Look at that. That's air. And so one kind of example of that is the kind of history of redlining and the legacy of segregated housing. It basically reflects an underinvestment in housing, primarily in communities of color and in Black communities. It also has to do with wage gaps and employment gaps that make it so that there's disproportionate representation of people of color and African-Americans in particular among the poor. And at the same time, the way that utilities are regulated hasn't required an accommodation based on ability to pay. So those are all kind of different aspects of this issue that harken back to a legacy of structural racism. And in terms of crafting policy that explicitly addresses affordable housing and energy, what kind of policies would be beneficial there? I I remember my very first paper that I published on this was about integrating housing and energy policy so that there were kind of better efficiency standards. You know, public housing doesn't have an efficiency mandate, neither do other forms of um, subsidized housing. And the problem with that is that, especially in the context of buildings where the tenants are responsible for their own energy costs, um, it means that those costs are passed down. Um, So avoiding the kind of necessary upgrades and building performance in the affordable housing sector kind of means that the people that can least afford the highest bills um, and the least efficiency are basically left holding those bags. And so absolutely, you know, the affordable housing sector, it will take kind of more more of a heavy lift, especially in retrofitting older buildings. So kind of thinking back to the building where the Bronx fire occurred, that building was was built in the 1970s, which is over five decades ago. And this is around the time when, you know, you often need a major overhaul of the systems. You know, those buildings should be kind of first in line uh, for those kinds of investments in part because the consequences of of not doing so can be fatal. And, And that was actually proven in the Bronx fire. Over the last five years or so, there has been this awakening in the climate movement that we can't just talk about 
carbon taxes. We can't just talk about technology deployment, that there needs to be this convergence of equity, uh, job creation and job training, and clean energy deployment, that there are all these other social benefits to climate action that have now been layered into the way people are talking about policy. The Green New Deal being the most significant example of this. Do you see that shift materially changing anything when it comes to the impact on on people's lives? I mean, I think the kind of end of your question is really where, to me, it begins. Like, you know, for so long, this the conversation around climate impacts and even benefits have been about the environment alone, pretty much almost exclusively. And I think that there are enough examples that there are burdens and and benefits that are placed on people. And that people-centeredness is an important component because it also is something that can be like more motivating uh, than just talking about decarbonization and carbon tax and I guess abstract and more scientific concepts that doesn't really relate to how, you know, these factors are experienced day to day. You know, it's an important shift, uh, not just, you know, in terms of, you know, ensuring that there's equitable transition, but also kind of that people get to pay attention and see themselves in this transition, that it isn't just about technology, it isn't just about buildings, systems, or other systems. It's really about also ensuring that people have a vested interest in seeing this kind of come to fruition. There are kind of people that are deeply impacted by these necessary changes. Dr. Diana Hernandez is an assistant professor of sociomedical sciences at the Columbia Mailman School of Public Health. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Our Postscript producers are Jamie Kaiser, Cecily Mesa-Martinez, Dalvin Abawaje, and Daniel Waldorf. And Alexandria Herr was the lead producer and writer on this episode. Ann Bailey is our editor. Sean Marquand and Greg Villefranc are our Postscript engineers. Original music came from Sean Marquand, Echo Finch, and Blue Dot Sessions. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across a range of sectors. Those include food, advanced energy, agriculture, transportation, logistics, advanced materials, manufacturing, and advanced computing. Thanks to Prelude for their support. Give us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. It's very helpful for helping other people find the show and send a link to a friend or colleague. Also, connect with us on social media. You can find The Carbon Copy, Postscript Media, and me there. And I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Carbon Copy. We'll catch you next time.